You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 212. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Clark. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. You have reached another Local Maximum. Hope you had a very good weekend. Uh, I know I did. Uh, I got outside a little bit, some snow sports, uh, some Super Bowl watching. Really like the halftime show this year. Uh, all right. So on today's topic, for a long time, I have wanted to talk about the Lightning Network on this show, which is a layer that's built on top of Bitcoin for transacting value. As you know, every Bitcoin transaction has to be included in the Bitcoin blockchain, which is a globally distributed and decentralized ledger. But because it has to be copied in so many places, it's also limited in size. So that means that it's expensive to put all of your small transactions, whether you want to have everybody in the world on this thing, or whether you even want to have a small number of people you know, paying for their day-to-day purchases on this thing, if you want to put all those small transactions in the blockchain, uh, it's going to be very expensive. And uh, if we want to scale this out into a global currency, you know, something's got to give. Now, the Lightning Network is a way to transact on top of Bitcoin. It's backed by Bitcoin, but it's done in such a way where you normally don't have to do an on-chain transaction most of the time, and you can still transact peer-to-peer, person-to-person uh, in like a, in a trustless way. So it, it still works, uh, and it works instantly. It's growing in popularity, and uh, it, it seems to work pretty well, and the technical solution is pretty impressive. Um, we get into a little bit today, but I don't think I can get into the full uh, breadth of the technical solution today. Uh, you know, it's... it's uh, it, 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 it's hard. It's, it's, it's a lot. But um, we have a really, really fun guest today. And we have a really fun conversation. Uh, I, I know it's long, but you're gonna, you're just gonna want to keep listening. So so to talk about this today, I have on the show, Guy Swan, who is the host of Bitcoin Audible and Shitcoin Insider. And we're going to hit on as much of this as possible as we can in an hour plus. Guy Swan, you've reached the local maximum. Welcome to the show. What's up, man? Good to be here. Good to be here. Yeah, yeah. Th- thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. I've been trying to get someone to come on to talk to me about Lightning Network for like two years. And so uh, I, uh, I, I appreciate you taking the time to uh, Absolutely. talk to me about it and talk to my, my listeners about it, because I think it's um, a really interesting part of the crypto ecosystem and well, the Bitcoin ecosystem certainly. So let's uh, let's just get into it. I mean, first of all, let's let's start with like a little background with you. What, um, where, where does your interest in Lightning lie? Where does your interest in Bitcoin lie? How do you think about this whole thing we call the crypto space or the Bitcoin space? I know, I I, I know you're you, you like to talk about Bitcoin a lot more, but why don't you just set the stage where you're coming from? Just let, let's start with that. Okay. Okay. So I got in, um, I got into Bitcoin before, before there were altcoins, before the, there was yeah. a, like but when crypto actually just meant cryptography <laughs> right. rather than a bunch of tokens. Right, um, right. And, uh, and I came at it from sort of uh, a perspective, like I was very interested in like the engineering of internet protocols at the time like that was kind of a rabbit hole that i was exploring at the time i was i was just an internet technician but um i loved uh like i would there are these like little courses i could take as a technician or whatever where i could just figure i 
I would just learn how to, um, like how information was encoded, like all the different ways, like using various wavelengths, like four magnitudes of wavelengths and then the frequency and then you'd overlap, like, like all the different ways that you could just encode information on a cable. Um, and, uh, uh, well, that's fascinating really like, to me. Base, well, I was going to say basic stuff, not basic as in simple, but basic is like that's fundamental the to the whole like thing. It is, yeah. Yes, it is how everything rely is what everything relies on. It's at the bottom, right? right. Um, it's the physical, the physical hardware that that puts every that connects everything together. Um, and uh, it always fascinated me, and it got me more into just reading about in my spare time, reading about TCP/IP for the first time, like really to, kind of digging into that and. Um, the protocols at the base of the internet. Um, and I was coming into this position where I was realizing the power of BitTorrent. <clears throat> Excuse me. BitTorrent right. and file sharing. BitTorrent. Um, because I had, uh, my, my brother and I had kind of gone down the libertarian rabbit hole a few years before that. Um, and he was majoring in economics. So one of the other things we were kind of exploring at the time was just Everything that was wrong with economics, academic economics, um, because he was just being taught these uh, blatant contradictions. Like he would learn one thing in microeconomics and then another thing in macroeconomics, and they literally couldn't be true at the same time. Like there was this this complete disconnect between things that you would learn one day and things you would learn another day. And like he would bring it up in class. He'd be like, literally, you taught us this like last week. These two <laughs> things can't be true at the same time. He was like, well, it's true in this situation. He's like, no, no, like the laws of economics are not, it's like gravity. It's not, it's not different gravity when you're talking about something big versus something small or something on the moon versus something on earth. Like we know we like gravity is gravity, right? It's a law. Economics is the same way. It's a set of principles about the reality of scarcity and how humans interact with that scarcity. It's not different if you make it bigger. It's just more obscure. But at the fundamental, at the end of the day, it's based on how much crap there actually is and how many people want it. <laughs> like, like, it doesn't change, right? Um, and so he was like, we were just having this awful, like, just disconnect, this, this discord um, or this dissonance, excuse me with uh with what he was being taught so we were just kind of going down our own little rabbit hole of economics after he would get back from class and have to unlearn everything that he learned in class um and that's what made us find mises and hayek and rothbard and the austrian school of economics which is a basically an alternative theory or an alternative school of thought um around economics that looks at economics objectively and kind of builds from first principles outward instead of just going from government policy down and trying to create, establish an economics that excuses government policy, which is what mainstream economics is. It's just a grift for government policy. It's how do we, how do we make this, the, the idea that this is a science to just excuse whatever power the government wants to whatever mani mani manipulation the government wants to do in the economy. That is literally what I think mainstream economics is now after years and years of study. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to get into, I have, I have stories from undergrad economics, but <laughs> I, like from 20 years ago, I remember like they assigned me to read uh, Krugman on like the third day and it had oh, nothing God. to do with what we learned in class. He wasn't Breaking windows is good for the economy. Yeah. 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 He wasn't, um, he was different. He was even different then than he is now, but like still, <laughs> yeah, 
but uh, it's bad. Yeah, <clears throat> but um, yeah. So that's kind of like the foundation. So I was like learning about internet protocols. Um, we had gone down the libertarian rabbit hole. I was stumbling upon cypherpunks at the time, even like the cypherpunk ideology. And then we were going down the Austrian economics rabbit hole. Right? Like these were all the the culmination of all these things. And literally every one of them has a unique perspective about Bitcoin. Like, yes. And they're this, all related, but they're all related to how the world works. And yeah. um, <clears throat> they all help yeah. put into context the contradictions, the contradictory messages that we're, we're hearing. I, exactly. I exactly. And um, so we stumbled upon Bitcoin back in 2011. And nice. we were just like, whoa, this is... I mean, and when I first got in, obviously, you, you're completely ignorant of it. It's just this, like, this kind of utopian thing. It's like, oh, my God, digital money, it's here. You know, right. and... Why did I read this? Uh, <laughs> or, or, or why am I reading this? Like, you know, you, you get yeah. handed this paper. You're like, uh, just another LaTeX <laughs> paper. <laughs> um, but we were down the rabbit hole instantly. Like, really? we were just... I was just fascinated. I mean, it was everything that we were interested in. It was, it was yeah. cypherpunkism. It was BitTorrent and a protocol for money. It was... Uh, all the technical and engineering ideas at the basis of the internet. Um, it was cryptography. It was Austrian economic theory codified. I mean, it was literally everything that we were interested in. So, all like what was four disparate subjects at the time um, became one became one thing. So we just we just went hard. You know, I was just like, this is the most fascinating thing I've ever learned. I've ever read about. Um, and. Uh, uh, and then we bought in on um, one of those early huge bubbles. Like, in fact, I'm pretty sure to date it was the worst peak and then collapse. Was um, that the one um, like from like 32 to two or something it was like, like that? Yep. It was like 32 <laughs> yeah. to like a buck 20 oh, or okay. wow. 50 yeah. or something <laughs> like that. Like yeah, it, yeah. it so bad. It was like a 95% right. crash or something. Yeah. Um, and we were, there was no really way, no real way to buy it either. Like there were no like ex like mainstream exchanges or anything. Like the, the way that we actually had to buy it was like the shadiest, like most like if, if there was a, if there was a version of behind, talk to the guy behind the dumpster in the back of McDonald's, like uh, on the internet, that is where you had to go to figure out how to get Bitcoin. I, I wasn't quite as early as you, but I, I have a, I do have a story like that. So <laughs> yes, I remember, uh, I had to go to Chinatown. It was, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was very shady. I, I was sure I wasn't going to get any, my money back. Yeah. Yeah. We, we ended up having to deposit cash into some, uh, and we were broke. We didn't, we didn't have any money. It's not like we like bought 30,000 Bitcoin because we had, $30,000 or anything, you know, and, yeah. um, God, I wish I just, oh, fuck right, if right. I sold my kidney hindsight. Um, <laughs> but, know. uh, <laughs> I'm like, I could bought one back. I just been like, let me buy another kidney in a couple of years. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, so we, we bought in and then it just, it was basically at the top, like at the, at the tippity top, we, we FOMO'd, FOMO'd as hard as you could FOMO. Um, and, uh, there were a couple of couple of months later, three months later, maybe, um, and it was all the money we had in the world. Like we were living in a trailer together, um, just barely making it by. I was doing video work at the time, um, and um, uh, and so I was like just kind of doing odd jobs as I needed to, needed to, 
um, I didn't have extra money, you know? <laughs> um, and, uh, we had put the little savings that we had, we had like a together savings account, actually my brother and I, and we had put it into uh, Bitcoin and, um, two or three months later, I calculated what it was worth and it wouldn't even cover our water bill. Hmm. And, uh, uh, actually that month our power was cut off, um, for a day because our bill bounced. And, uh, when I calculated, when I was like, this is, this is all the money we had and it just vanished. And we thought like, Oh my God, we're investing in this future thing. And this is going to be great. And I remember I like went to the bathroom, I threw up and I was just like, I've just, what a, what an idiot, what an absolute idiot. What have I done? And, uh, and, and I realized the story I didn't doesn't know. go. You, you, nah. Then you sold and uh, waited nope, seven nope. years. No, okay, good. <laughs> um, I uh, then I I thought about it and I was like, so I got in on this utopia dream, like this vague idea of this thing that was just going to solve all these problems, right? Um, and uh, and I was certain that hyper Bitcoinization was happening yesterday. Right. Um, That's and, Bitcoin uh, taking over the monetary systems of the world. Yes. Or, yes. Hyper Bitcoinization uh, is yeah. Bitcoin becomes the thing. Yeah. And somehow way back then I was like, oh my God, it's going to be a, it's a week from now. It's happening right now. And uh, uh, like a moron. And so, but I decided I had gotten into something I knew nothing about. Like if you had asked me to explain Bitcoin, I couldn't explain Bitcoin, hmm. you know, like I would give some vague ideas to what it's supposed to do or what's supposed to be, but I couldn't break down the technicals. I couldn't really tell you the game theory of it being attacked, you know, like That's I read the white paper to do. Like, I mean, no, it's, it's not, not like, no, you know, it's not like <clears throat> it's, it, it's, um, it's hard to wrap your head around it, even for, even for people who tend to pick up on things very quickly. Yeah, yeah. Some it's people a, still haven't picked up on it. I mean, it's a yeah. very complicated and multifaceted mm. thing, uh, technology, and um, or system really. Uh, and so I decided, well, I'm not going to get out unless I know why it won't work. Unless I feel like I have found all of the ways in which it's not going to succeed, and why I bought into something stupid, um, and. I'll just start reading everything I can get my hands on. Um, and literally 10 years later, 11 years later, um, that's, that's what I do. Um, that's actually what the podcast is, is, uh, um, I've, so, I've so that consumed, rabbit hole. Yeah. That rabbit hole is really deep. In other words, like you yes. can, you could spend years. Yeah. Yes. Um, and so I kind of like devoted myself to just like figuring Bitcoin out for the next few years. Mm. Um, and then after, you know, continuing to invest, trying to find a better job, going in, like I said, coming an internet technician and stuff um, at the time. Um, I um, basically could just would read anything that I could get a hold of, um, which was very, very scarce. Like there was not much in those early days. Um, and then one day when I was like, I listened to so much stuff as an internet technician, like just podcasts and audiobooks. Like I'd go to like five books a month, six books a month. Um, and listen to like a crap ton of audio, uh, a podcast. I was annoyed because I was like, I didn't have that much time to read. So I was like, I wish somebody would read these to me and, you know, expand on them and like talk about them and stuff. And for like three years, I just sat on this. I wish somebody would make a podcast of doing this, just reading all the best Bitcoin content. And then I ended up doing it. 
Um, one day I sat down when I came home from work um, and I read an article that I was wanting to read uh, into my phone, actually. Like I just sat in the notes app and and read it into my phone and then published it. And then like 20 people downloaded it. And I was like, what? <laughs> Somebody, what? What is this? And I uh, did it again the next day. And three years later, it's what I do. I think it took like two or three episodes before I got 20 people downloading this one. Uh, so that that was the start of uh, Bitcoin Audible? That was the start of Bitcoin Audible. All right. And how long have you been doing that for? I guess since 2017, 2018, March 2018. 2018. So I'm on four years. Oh, wow. Almost exactly the same time the local maximum started. No kidding. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Honestly, I feel... Uh, April or, or, or April. Uh, February, February, February. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. nice. So I, I feel like it's not a coincidence that, uh, and I, and this podcast, you know, isn't, um, isn't Bitcoin focused, but I feel like it's not a coincidence that a lot of people started their, um, Bitcoin related podcasts around that time. That was like right mm-hmm. after the previous peak, which I think, Proved a few things that, like, you know, every every kind of um, bull market, let's say, like, uh, proves mm-hmm. a few things are true that that we couldn't prove before in a certain sense. Like, oh, it can yeah. reach this level. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like there's always a lot of people who are saying, well, Bitcoin's at the top. It'll never, you know, th- this is the plateau. And then when it breaks that, it's like, okay you were probably like, man, I've been in there here six years. I've, I've been in here for a couple cycles. Now I feel comfortable talking about it. You know, mm-hmm. now I have the, uh, <laughs> now, now I, now I feel comfortable. I, now I know I'm not an idiot for, 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 for having it. Yeah. Um, and so it's, uh, it's, I, I, I feel like that's not a coincidence. And, and I, 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 I think that that bull market affected my decision to start this as, as well. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's, at least there's definitely idea. the psychological shift that happens after you go through a cycle um, yeah. and you see it like break through all of the, it, it, it survives from what appears to be and feels like certain death at some right. point. Um, right. And you'll have a lot of those moments in Bitcoin. Um, and uh, I mean, I feel like a lot of people thought that, thought that a week ago, you know, um, <laughs> right, I right. mean, I've, I'm kind of so numbed to it at this point. Um, having such a profound lesson in that right after getting into it for the very first time. But um, really what it, what it was after 2017, because probably the 2013 and 14 and then uh, 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 run-ups, like the two two big spikes, followed by not dying in the 2015-16 era is really what kind of put that that position, like like gave me that like kind of mental fortitude. Right. And... Um, uh, and I'd also yeah. learned a lot. I was starting yeah. to engage on Reddit and stuff and realizing how many people were there that did not know a lot of stuff. You know, you have this like bias that like, oh, you don't really know anything because you realize there's still so much to learn. But then you start seeing people new to the space and you're like, oh, God, that's right. There's like an ocean of stuff that these people just need for a foundation, you know. And and so like I started trying to help in that regard. Um and I wanted to do a podcast. I, I had been, in fact, there are probably like seven or five, if I, I don't want to, a handful of lost episodes of me and my brother starting two separate podcasts, like uh, two different themed Bitcoin podcasts, essentially at different times that we've just never published. Um, 
And so I'd been sitting on that for like three years. And it was when the 2017 uh, bubble happened, this huge sp pike, uh, spike and then subsequent crash or whatever that afterward I was like, I cannot believe I let such an incredible opportunity go by without being a part of this again. Like we're just sitting on the sidelines and posting on Reddit and like, you know, being, being basically worthless. I mean, whatever, I can answer a question from time to time, but I wasn't really contributing. Um, and I said I wasn't. And in 2018, as we were getting full on into the bear market, um, which I had grown accustomed to, I had grown to really yeah. appreciate the bear market because everybody shuts up and leaves you alone and not you can to be stuff done. <laughs> yeah. Well, not, not to, I, I don't want to talk too much about the bear markets and the bull markets because that's not really what we're supposed to be talking about today, but that one was nothing compared to 2015. Oh yeah. Winter. Oh yeah. yeah. So comfortable. It was, it was yeah. a nice, it was a cool breeze of the bear market. <laughs> um, and, uh, but I just said, I'm not doing this again. I'm not letting this go by without feeling like I'm doing something, you know? Like, so and that's why I just broke down and started gotcha. the podcast. Very cool. All right. So let's, let's go toward the lightning network. So let's, um, let's talk about, so, uh, <laughs> yeah. th there've been so many changes and again, there, there's so many rabbit holes we can go down. So let's try to get to our destination here, but, uh, you know, take me through like just in broad strokes, how your chain, how your thinking changed in terms of Bitcoin when, okay, now you have the whole universe of cryptocurrencies at first you know they were just called altcoins the alternatives then you had smart contracts d5 nft all all the things and then um and then you had uh you know you had the uh the the fork wars and you have lightning uh you have uh the lightning network which goes on top of bitcoin so mm -hmm. um just tell me a little bit about what your thinking was on those things i'm probably going to have a lot of people on the show who are going to have a lot of various opinions, but um, just tell me where, where you're coming from and like where, like um, wh where does lightning fit into all of this and like how important is lightning to all this and what problem does it solve? Okay. So, so maybe we can go through one by one if you can't remember it, but I'll. Sure. Yeah. Um, first off with the block size wars, um, uh, obviously that's a three hour, yeah. five hour topic in and of itself. Um, but I highly encourage anyone to read uh, or listen to. I did the audiobook for it. So um, nice. uh, Jonathan, Jonathan Beer, that's B-I-E-R. Um, he's from a bit, uh, BitMEX, BitMEX Research, um, but he was like intimately uh, in the community and developers and went to every event and everything that happened all during the block size wars. Um, and he wrote an incredible breakdown of the entire history and the, the dynamics involved and the challenges and like all that stuff. It is required reading. I think understanding how that played out and why is critical to, critical to understanding the game theory of Bitcoin and how Bitcoin works. I think to see that in action, that was one of the most bullish events for me in all of Bitcoin's history, um, without a doubt. The idea that <clears throat> the the rules enforced by the users were what the miners, what the quote unquote authorities, the corporate side, the business side of uh, the network had to adhere to, or they weren't participating in the network was fundamentally unique. Like that is incredible in the context of 
all of the things, all of the political systems and the monetary systems that we compare to. It is, it is literally the thesis of Bitcoin. We run Bitcoin. Bitcoin, like no one runs Bitcoin for us. We run it, right? Um, and uh, it was bas- it basically put it to the test. It said, is that true? Let's find out. And, uh, and it, it survived. Um, and it was really, really an incred- incredible event in Bitcoin history. Um, uh, and as a user activated soft fork runner, um, <laughs> it was, it was, a it was a crazy time. You know, there were, there were moments where you felt like Bitcoin could die. Um, but it, the game sure. theory turned out true, but anyway, um, so that's a really, really great resource on that specifically. But what I think the fundamental idea is, is understanding the true value of Bitcoin, like true value of the Bitcoin system. It is in complete and total validation and security of the monetary system. You know, the only reason these are digital tokens, right? Like it's a, it's a digital ledger. You can edit it on your computer. Anybody can edit it. I can change right now on my computer, my Bitcoin software, and I can give myself a billion coins. Why doesn't that work? Why is that? Why does that fail? Why does that give me nothing? Because everyone else is checking my work. Everyone else is running that code too. They're running the whole thing. They're checking it from beginning to end and they're auditing it. It is a security system that creates digital scarcity. It is a cryptographic system that creates digital scarcity. Without that digital scarcity, you have no token. Without that assurance, you don't own anything of value. The assurance is the value. The proof and the trust, the, um, the trust, the assurance, I guess is really the better word. The assurance and the proof that what you have is in fact a Bitcoin and it does in fact adhere to these rules and that everyone else that you are connecting to um, uh, adheres to these rules and the exact same uh, restriction of what a Bitcoin is, is why it is a monetary good. That's the only reason it can hold any value at all. As soon as you are reliant on three other people to do all of that validation and confirm the rules, you're just using somebody else's server to tell you what a Bitcoin is, which means you just, you should just use a Google spreadsheet. A Google spreadsheet is going to be a whole lot faster. It's going to be able to, it's going to have transactions to millions per second, and it will have all of the quote unquote utility. Google can put in whatever feature they want into their spreadsheet. That is not why you use a system like this. You use a system like this so that no one controls it. And so that everyone can actually define an independent digital unit which has not been possible in any other context and that no one right. actually can manipulate it. That is the power, that is the value of Bitcoin. That makes the base layer something that needs to be nimble. Nimble in the sense that you can run, you can spin up a node and catch up with the network in a few hours. Hopefully, you know, that's what you want it to be. You want to be able to lose half of the global infrastructure and you want, you want it to be able to turn back on and catch back up and build out again. If you lose a node on a network that's got 30 terabytes worth of download, that node never comes back. It just never comes back. It's just nobody's nobody's going to run that. Because it takes if, too long to check from the beginning. It takes too them. long to check from the beginning, which means you're just trusting someone else to have checked for you. And thus you'll just go from the chain tip and ignore all of the history. Right. Um, which means that you have no idea what rules defined your Bitcoin. 
You've, you've not even proven that you have Bitcoin. You've just proven that you have something that someone else wants. You've proven that someone else defined it according to what they run and that you accept it. That's it. Um, and so, it's, so it's, it would be adding trust to a system that's supposed to be trustless. They're supposed to be trustless. And there are always degrees of trust, but there is also this sort of threshold between are we fundamentally trusting or are we are we enabling all of the tools so that trust is not necessary? And it's simply that a lot of people that adopt it still just use a custodian. Like that is always going to be a part of it. The, the pressure to use a custodian to use this in a trusted manner will always be there. Everyone will always go for convenience. That's why if the actual provenance, the actual, the hardcore foundation of validating the whole thing from start to finish is hard, it will vanish. It is very, very fleeting. That is why the, the, the very idea of what this system is, it's like firmware for a rocket ship that, is, that a whole society is living on. You don't, you don't mess with the firmware. You don't add apps. You don't connect it to the internet so that people can hack it. Like, because if the oxygen filtering system goes out, everyone dies. Like, you don't play around with that system. That's something you do on the web. That's something you do with JavaScript on a website that nobody cares about that carries no value. Um, that's what's something you do on layers on top. You don't screw with TCP IP. Nobody edits TCP IP. Nobody changes the fundamental, like the, 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 the um, frequency, the frequency and the precision with which changes are made at the hardware level, at the base level of the internet are very, very slow and very, very precise. And that is explicitly because everything else runs on top of it. If your foundation, you know, you don't, you don't have windows and nice, pretty spindly colors and, and all these fancy different things to make things look good in the foundation for your skyscraper. Your foundation for your skyscraper is one giant big cinder, uh, uh, cement block so that you can build three, uh, you know, 30, 50 uh, uh, layers or uh, stories on top of it. And if it's not a big, strong foundation, you're not, your building's going to collapse. As soon as so, you start putting pretty windows on uh, yeah. the 30th floor, it's, the whole thing's gone. <laughs> so I'm thinking to, to summarize, keep the foundation layer, which is the part that everyone agrees with. Keep it simple, even though it's, it's hard mm -hmm. to say Bitcoin is simple. But in other words, keep it lean, not too many features, have... Able, Let it do the nine things or five things cheap. Yeah. that it must do and give it no unfamiliar or odd outcomes. Make it so okay. that everything, all of the possible paths that it can take could never lead to like a, an infinite loop. Because if the software hangs up on somebody's client, the whole network hangs up. Like, like the, whole, the whole thing. This is, about, this is about software that never goes down. This is right. infrastructure for a global financial system. You can't just like have a bug one day and then right, right. like, like having a bug one day is like having a global financial crisis. Yeah. It's not like when I, you know, if you put up a, a website, you're like, oh, I'll just move fast and keep building out stuff and have people yeah. come in and, uh, you know, mm. yeah, the idea that I could fix it and <laughs> roll forward. <laughs> I think, I, I think that's really kind of indicative of a, the vast majority of what happens in crypto is the very idea that move fast and break things is the philosophy yeah. is, is well, completely indicative of the fact of this needs to be, a, this is a platform that this right. is 
somebody is somebody is owning and running this thing and everybody is just kind of duplicating or adhering to whatever software it is and that's not monetary value that's software that's that's the value of potentially some website or a platform or google or whatever um and and i think that's the fundamental difference that happens with basically and at least in my opinion essentially all of crypto and bitcoin is that bitcoin is trying to be money it's trying to be a foundation whereas crypto is looking for features and apps and all of these things all of these fancy wing digits that you want to do on top and sure sure but platforms have like like that's something that's real and is all over the place but i don't think that but i don't think it's going to compete in the monetary sphere um uh but um yeah, so that's a long way of saying that the whole point of Bitcoin is security. Right. Okay. So let's get into <laughs> let's get into lightning now. A really long introduction. That's okay. Yes. Uh, sorry. It's very interesting, though. I think we. I think we. I. I. I think we. We got into a lot. Of, I, I think we. I think we covered like what the philosophy is, where we're coming from, what the reason is. So okay. Mm-hmm. In terms of the lightning network, like what? Let's just start simple. Like what problem does it solve? And then very high level like how it works. So it is not part of the Bitcoin base layer. M- Bitcoin miners have no idea about Lightning. Is that correct? To, I mean, yes. Yeah, to an extent. Um, like Bitcoin miners aren't, unless they actually participate in the Lightning network, they're not part right, of it. Right. They're just like, confirming transactions, whether yeah. they're Lightning network transactions or Miners are validators. Yeah, you don't yeah, care. Yeah. What the, yeah. what, the, what the transactions are. Exactly. They're just securing the base. What they do right. is they put a force field around the history of Bitcoin so that nobody can move backward. Yeah. Like, that literally, that is, well, analogously, but that is basically what they're doing. Um, and so, like, going back to the kind of philosophical foundation is that Bitcoin is about security. That means that you have to have a lot of trade-offs. If you're pumping through a million transactions a second, then you have something that, nobody can audit you have something that nobody can actually manage and if you go from a hundred thousand people all over the world and in every single jurisdiction auditing and validating the bitcoin chain to three people in one jurisdiction you've lost what bitcoin is it's it's now meaningless all of your security is gone for the sake of transactions which means your value is lost for the sake of features which means those features are useless. It's like creating a payment system that trades dirt around. It's like, it doesn't matter how great your payment system is. The dirt isn't going to be more valuable. You have to have something valuable. You only make payment systems in money. (laughs) You know, like it's the thing that is valuable that makes the payment system worthwhile, makes its utility meaningful. Um, So because of that, Bitcoin is constrained. Um, And this is something that uh, Hal Finney, um, like the very first person who ever received um, who responded to Satoshi in the like within days of the announcement of Bitcoin and the very per- first person to ever receive a transaction on the Bitcoin chain said from the outset that this is never going to scale. This is this is kind of a thing about assurance. This is about security and assurances. And it's a brilliant idea of creating digital cash, but it's not going to scale to a global sphere. It has to have a lighter payments layer on top. Um, he alluded to the fact that there'd be like this, this uh, kind of pseudo banking layer and all of this stuff. But I think we've where we are right now is orders of magnitude better than even what Hal Finney imagined, um, because the Lightning Network is that it is a lighter payments layer on top of Bitcoin that 
in a sense allows you to aggregate hundreds or thousands of transactions on Lightning into essentially a single transaction on Bitcoin. Um, but what it does is it creates a way to turn a Bitcoin transaction into a contract that both of us, like let's say I'm Max, I'm open up a channel with you and uh, we open up a lightning connection and we have a certain amount of Bitcoin in it. Well, this contract, we can continually update between the two of us and either one of us can enforce every single update as it essentially replaces the other one so that Bitcoin will be our judge. It's basically the court if anything goes wrong and Bitcoin uh, Bitcoin settles it exactly as, uh, exactly as all the transactions are in, in that channel. Um, so it's basically like this live contract that we can just keep sending money back and forth between. But the beauty of it is, is that you can open up a contract with somebody else. They can open up with somebody else and we can bridge them. I can send it to you. You send it to that person. That person sends it to the next. Um, and, uh, there's three hours of explaining how that contract works. But the simple, the simple thing is, is it's enforceable completely by yourself. You're not trusting the other person. Um, and uh, uh, you can update it an infinite number of times because the transactions aren't even going to chain. They're confirmed instantly because right. the contract yeah, I, enforcement that secures it. I, I've used it. I've had some personal experience mm -hmm. with that where you just use it and like ding, and then it's just, it, yeah. it works. Um, so uh, a, a few points here. Uh, first of all, you and I, let's say we have a, a, a lightning connection together. Now, mm -hmm. I, I think it's point, important to point out if, if that, that means sending some Bitcoin to a particular uh, address that mm -hmm. is then I might contribute some, you might contribute some, and then we have our own personal ledgers on who owns how much, and we could trade back and forth as many times mm -hmm. as we want before settling. But we do have to put something on chain in order to get this thing started, correct? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yep. so, and, and to finish it off. Um, now, uh, one question that, that someone might ask is like, okay, well, what if I don't, and I think you just answered it a little bit, but it's like, well, what if I don't want to trade with you or all the people you're connected with? What if I want to trade with someone else? What do I do? I don't want to just keep trading back and forth with you. Uh, how, how would you, uh, I guess that would be like the first question a lot of people would ask. So essentially, because the Lightning Network is such a huge collection of, uh, it's this, it is literally, it's a network because it is a network of Bitcoin transactions that you can send from, right? you right. can send to and from. So um, uh, essentially, all of these special types of Bitcoin transactions connect together in this giant web. And in doing so, you can then reach any of your destination, any potential destination by going through all of these different little connections. So rather than turning a Bitcoin, a transaction on the Bitcoin network, rather than making that a payment, it's more of a, it's more of a, a monetary base and proof of reserves for connections into a network on top of it. So it's much like, like where if Bitcoin is, if Bitcoin itself, the system, is a series of uh, um, hard lines, it's, it's like the foundation of the network. It's TCP/IP. Um, Lightning Network is all of the connections on top of it, all the server routes and uh, 
uh, or excuse me, Bitcoin is Ethernet. And uh, I think probably the better analogy is that Lightning Network is TCP IP because it routes just like TCP IP does, actually. Um, like if you ever try to ping like Google, um, you'll notice you'll go through like 12 different servers to get there. And you have to, your router, your router and your modem in your house puts together this routing table of the internet to figure out how to reach the destination in the quickest path so that when you click on something, even though you are you were just talking to a server in Switzerland, now you skip to your regional server, you skip across the, you know, across the um, continent and you hit another regional server and you hit another local server, blah, 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 until you hit Google. But that happens instantly. It happens as quick as clicking a button, essentially. That is basically the exact same thing with Lightning Network, is that, except that you're bridging through all of these separate lightning channels, these this these batches of Bitcoin that have been kind of lifted up into this new network to allow you to send payments back and forth at the speed of light. And so rather than having to wait 10 minutes for a confirmation or maybe not get in the next block, you can update instantly and you can do thousands of transactions and you never have to pay another on-chain fee. You've just lifted your Bitcoin, a, a amount of Bitcoin that you want in this network up into the network and now you can zip, 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 zip a bunch of stuff back and forth. And then if you ever want it to go back to your hardcore savings, you can keep it in your spending wallet. Like I don't, I don't really close any of my channels. It's just like a yeah, few so thousand ask, dollars. Like, do people, do, do these present. channels get closed very often? Or, no, or not, not any more than you would need to, not unless something went wrong or like a node went down that you were connected to and your node would automatically close it out and, you know, put it back into your quote unquote Bitcoin balance rather than your lightning balance. Um, but there's no reason to like, I mean, it's like, unless somebody wanted, it's uh, like, it's like, why would you move something from your checking account to your savings account? If you still wanted to use it as checking, right? You know, um, like that's, that's kind of the way to think about it. Like I just always have money in my checking account. I, I leave my channels open because they're useful. Um, and, and if I want, if I, let's say I fill it all up and like, I just have like a lot in my lightning wallet because Bitcoin price went 10 X and now it's an enormous amount of money and I want to protect it. Well then, yeah, then yeah, I'll send some out to my savings or whatever and, uh, knock down my liquidity in my lightning a little bit. Um, and, uh, but for the most part, no, I just never, there's no reason to close channels. Right. So it seems, so, um, uh, I, I think a, a lot of people can think of it like if if a play, pay if a wants to pay c maybe if it's a two hop process it's a pays mm -hmm. b and b pays c and from b's perspective they're just you know they're getting money from someone they're giving money to someone else mm -hmm. it's a wash for them uh, do they take anything do they get a, a a a cut anyone who's in the chain um, and how much like it, 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 is that profitable at all? Is that going to be costly for the people sending money? How does that work? There's an interesting dynamic because um, just having a really good position on the network um, will will be very beneficial for you and any maybe potential customers or whatever. Let's say you're a service or something and you want people to you know have their lightning connection with you. Um, uh, it's great to have a good position for it. Um, and that's why I think, and routing is also a whole lot easier if there are no fees. And actually like 25% of the channels on the network have a zero fee. So they're forwarding payments just, just for forwarding payments, just so they can have a position on the lightning and they can use lightning, which will save them money on Bitcoin fees. Interesting. Um, however, uh, a lot of nodes is completely set per node. 
but a lot of nodes do charge fees. Um, and usually there's a setting, even with some uh, nodes that charge a zero fee, there's a uh, sats per million setting so that after somebody is moving like $300 because it can kind of imbalance channels and make receiving or forwarding a payment complicated, um, uh, which a lot of them like mainly software and stuff handles now, like you'll never have to deal with that on like a mobile wallet, breeze, moon, Phoenix, like these things automatically do all this behind the scenes. So you're not really a routing node that you have to worry about liquidity for any, any real sense. Um, but, uh, a node that does do this, if you route a really big payment, it can make you lopsided. Like if you send a big payment to one direction, well, now you can't send another big payment in that direction because maybe you have kind of like filled out the the balance on the other side of all of your channels. And so only you can you can only move in the opposite direction. So, so because almost, of this I I'm almost picturing uh um as an analogy, I don't know if this is a good analogy, but when I was living in New York, we had a we had, you know, city bike and you'd have the bike stations all over the place. They'd be balanced and yes. you know, people yes. would ride the bike downhill it. and then all of a sudden all the bikes were over there. Or, or at the bottom cold. of the hill. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a great that's a great analogy. It's very much like, you know, enterprise rent a car or whatever. You move cars from one location to the other, and now nobody can travel from uh, right. you know for San reason, Diego to yeah, to North Carolina reason, because everybody did that direction only. Yeah. Yeah, and they for some reason like to take a different mode of transportation back or, mm -hmm. or something or, or didn't go back. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah. Um but that's that similar ex very, very similar quote unquote routing problem as many of the uh, allegorical things that we have in normal day to day life are present on Lightning. Um and uh but that is why you for large amounts you will have fees um and even for small amounts sometimes you'll like pay a satoshi or two satoshis or whatever to route some payment um uh, like i think probably my average fee is like three to five satoshis or something like that um oh, that's, and that's extremely low for those who are counting <laughs> yeah yeah so that's, that's like a 20th of a penny maybe yeah two. i don't know well, i don't know but math um it's it's, it's, it's a fraction of a penny <laughs> yeah 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 it's small um but, uh, uh, oh no, 10, 10 sets is 20 sets is roughly a penny. So it'd be about a okay. fourth of a penny okay. anyway, whatever. Um, so, uh, yeah, fees well, are small. To put that in context. I mean, uh, putting something on the main blockchain on the, uh, on the, on chain in Bitcoin is, I don't know how much it is now. I mean, I've seen it range quite a bit. I, I've seen it as low as like a quarter, but it could be like several dollars or more mm -hmm. sometimes. Uh, so that's a, that's a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's a, it's a massive savings. I mean, like for instance, like people will listen to uh, Sphinx and like fountain app, like these other things that I have my podcast on people actually listen to the podcast and they can pay per minute. So people will pay me like 20 sats or 50 sats a minute or whatever. And I'll just get transactions coming in. I actually leave my notifications on for it. So it just like, it's just like, like I was just like payment after payment, after payment, after payment. You couldn't do that on the Bitcoin blockchain. So you're, you're just streaming money. No, yeah. 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 You're streaming money. And, um, uh, that's cool. you know, as soon as you did that, you did that with one podcast on chain and you're starting to fill up blocks, right? Like, like it only works if you've got a light payments layer on top. Um, and, uh, um, and I think that's really, the whole point of this is this is supposed to be a monetary layer and a monetary network, which means that the whole idea is just to securely scale it. 
Um, and one of the beauties of, of Lightning too is not only is there not this permanent record of every payment you've ever had, but it's also onion routed. Uh, just like the Tor network, the privacy network, um, is that like when I'm sending, like let's say you're you're B and like I'm I'm A, I send it to you, Max, and then you send it to Starbucks or whatever. Like that's the route that you see. You know it came from me and you know it went to Starbucks because it went from your channel with me to your channel with Starbucks. Assuming I even know who they are. Like, you Assuming know, you know who they are. That's a good yeah. point. Assuming but you I, have I, any idea who they are. Right, right, right. So I have but addresses. you have no idea if it stopped at Starbucks or started with me. Right. It could, right. It could have also through. come from my brother and then uh, a friend of ours is right. where the payment was originated. And it might not have stopped at Starbucks. It might have gone to Fold and then Strike. You know, like right. you, we don't really know the whole path. Like it's just an encrypted blob outside yeah. of ex exactly where it next needs to go. And that's it. I, so, I almost feel like I, I have to adjust my thinking because at first I'm like, well, why would why wouldn't it stop at Starbucks? You're obviously paying Starbucks. It's like, no, I paid Starbucks. Uh, I, I opened a channel with Starbucks weeks ago. Starbucks has tons of channels open. So, of course, yeah. they're going through lots of people. Yeah. Starbucks might just be the shortest route there. Yeah. Um, well, that would make sense if a lot of people are. Open. A lot of people are connected to Starbucks. Yeah. It'd be a great way to reach a lot of customers. Um, and, uh, and so there's a lot of incredible benefit, but then also is that now you can add features. Now you can attach additional contracts or completely um, ambiguous programming, like programming that does have while loops and whatever coding language or anything you want, you can run an application on it and attach the hash of its output to a lightning transaction. And if everything goes wrong and you move fast and break things, doesn't matter, it doesn't break anything. Doesn't touch the base layer. The base layer is a hard foundation that never gets messed with. But Lightning can enable all of this on a payments network that can let you do thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of transactions per second in aggregate. Um, and essentially, there's no scaling limit. Every time you get a 10% improvement or a 20% improvement or better liquidity here and you know better automatic management of opening and closing channels, you know that's that's exponential, right? It, it's an order of magnitude every single time. It feeds. It's a feedback loop. Um, so incremental improvements will make massive, uh, massive improvements in the operability and um, speed with which you can operate a Lightning Network Cash App just yesterday um, announced that they had finally adopted Lightning Network. And I just was testing. I wanted to see like if I could kind of um, like usually Lightning Network. Square, or they're called Block now, right? Square, so, so you block it, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, but uh, um, usually like $10 payments, $5 payments, $50 payments, they go through on Lightning like a breeze. But because you have to have liquidity available, $100 payments, eh, you might have big fee from time to time to time. And, you know, if you're looking at a 25 cent fee on chain, it's kind of a decent on chain payment too. Um, $200 payments, you get a little hairy. $500 payments, oof. You might, you, might, you might run into whether or not you have a route, um, uh, particularly if you don't have enough liquidity in your node or in, in your wallet. Um, and uh, so, some, like, the bigger the payment, the less likely it is to actually work on Lightning. And so I was just trying to test out um, Cash App. Um, and I made a $500 payment to my thing and it went 
went right through. I was mm. kind of impressed. I was so like, they're increasing well, capacity as well. No kidding. Um, and that's on the day that I, I figured they were getting DDoSed by users. So that's pretty impressive that it cost me like two sats to instantly withdraw that much money. Um, and uh, I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep playing around with. It. I'm gonna see if I can break their <laughs> uh, yeah. break their stuff. So I have this like. Um, I guess not objection to Lightning Network, but but issue that people bring up on the internet from time to time. I guess it is an objection, and uh, they say like, okay, well, you know, Lightning Network is is great and that it reduces on chain chain transactions, helps us scale, whatever. But you still need to be opening and closing channels occasionally, and if we want to get a hundred million people, a billion people on the Lightning Network. You, that still wouldn't be enough capacity in the base chain to to handle that. Is that at all a problem? Is that um, is, is that true? What's the um, what's the deal with that? I don't think so. Um, I mean, it's it's a problem in the sense that if you think linearly, uh, yeah, sure, it's a problem. But that was the problem in 2015 when people said the Lightning Network was going to work and Bitcoin wasn't going to scale and we should just have giant blocks. Like the question is, what's the alternative? What's the better scaling method? Um, and essentially everything like Ethereum has been saying that they're just going to have giant blocks and they've got, you know, $80 fees to move NFTs around. Um, like they're all running into the same problem. Um, and now BSV has like two nodes or some ridiculous, like they're not even, they're not even a network anymore. They're just a service. Um, we all got uh, we all got BSV without uh, uh, <laughs> against our uh, against our will against but, our will. <laughs> I mean, um, I, oh, you're not going to throw it out, but <laughs> you sell it. So, <laughs> so basically, like every blockchain is going to have to figure that problem out. Yeah, one way or the other, they're either going to run into it or they're going to start preparing for it. Um, right. The beauty of Lightning is that it's it's a type of contract like it's a it's a it's a security model for how to do chain uh transactions off chain and make them valid on ch uh, or make them enforceable on chain if they ever need to be enforced right. um and uh because of that uh i don't think long term like just using that conception of how to scale um i think we already have like a couple of orders of magnitude of improvement. Um, okay. When you're talking about large companies and anybody who wants to run like a routing node, I think it will become common to be part of what is referred to as a channel factory. Gotta say, probably give it two years, three years before that really starts so to kick into gear. Can you um, make multiple open multiple channels with one transaction? That's that's exactly what I was getting to. Yes. Okay. Um, so it's rather than having one channel with you and then you having one channel with Starbucks and then they having one channel with Apple, blah, blah, blah is we have one pool, one address that is actually a complicated, actually kind of a complex thread of multi-sigs with me, you, Starbucks, and Apple. And what we can actually do is we can open and close channels on the fly with all of the money that we have pooled in that group. That's called a channel factory. So rather than a two-party multi-sig with this lightning security contract, it's like a five-party or a 10-party and businesses internet servers, miners, like all these people that are online all the time and they run infrastructure for the network itself. There's no problem with that. Of course, they, they need to be online all the time anyway. So they're going to, they're a great place to be at the base of the network to run these large multi-party channels. And you're already looking at an order of magnitude where 
now you're looking at 10 people with hundreds of channels and hundreds of thousands, millions of payments that all just take up one UTXO. They just take up one little space on Bitcoin. Um, and then that needs to change or update even less often than um, uh, less often than would lightning channels specifically. Um, so it's just a, it's, it's a constant game. It's like a, Andreas Antonopoulos said, is that like the internet failed to scale for 30 years. I was actually like, just thinking about that uh, talk. Maybe I'll, I'll link that in the show notes, but um, yeah. that, that was, um, yes, that was a very good talk. And my kind of alarm bells went off. I was just thinking exactly of that talk uh, when, when you were, when you were speaking. Yeah, it's a really, it's a really good way to think about the challenge is that if you're not thinking in exponential steps in, in improving at the next layer to make that more viable, then you've kind of already lost the battle. Um, it's like Google versus Yahoo is that Yahoo was the much better search engine at the beginning, but that was because they curated search results. They literally hired like hundreds of people to just scour the internet and index stuff manually. They just typed it into a computer. Google was creating an algorithm. Google was creating a computer that could index, but it sucked because of the first iterations of it. So you got better results with Yahoo, but Google could actually scale. So Yahoo was for like five or six years or whatever, they were king because they had the better search results. But Google kept iterating on the algorithm. Google kept iterating on the, the, the scaling that could happen. They could just fire all their employees and they could still index the internet, right? Um, and then at some point, the iterations just got better and better until the algorithm worked as good or better than the people and they had the whole internet indexed. Whereas Yahoo couldn't possibly do that with... Right. physical employees. Um, and so I think that's kind of what we're seeing play out right now in Bitcoin is that the the payment architecture, um, like, I mean, you can already see the load that it's taken off of Bitcoin. Um, I, I, did a, I did a poll just to see what it was, but um, just my generic Twitter poll or whatever, um, I can't remember how many, it was like a few thousand, 5,000 votes or something like that. Um, it was like 40% maybe? I, I wish I had the actual number. I don't remember. I hadn't looked at the results. Um, but uh, it was somewhere like like 30 to 40% have way, have more payments on Lightning than they do on chain. Like they just use Lightning as their daily driver. Um, and most of this is not known. Like I'll still talk to people in crypto who just don't even know that Lightning is kind of like a thing now. I mean, a whole country, El yeah. Salvador, has adopted Lightning. Or don't um, know that, that, it, that it's actually affecting what we see on the chain statistics. Yes, yes. Um, I mean, I, I have almost like a... I think I, oh God, I hate it when I can't remember exact numbers, but I'm pretty sure mine was like a hundred to one, like, like a hundred lightning transactions to each one Bitcoin transaction. Mm -hmm. So if you, if you just extrapolate that and I just use kind of generic wallets and I actually do a lot of on-chain because I just test out wallets, which means I have to, right. all the new wallets open up channels. Right. Um, so I actually have kind of a big on-chain footprint. Whereas if I was just using Lightning generically rather than just testing everything that I could get my hands on, it actually wouldn't be that big. Um, but let's just say 100 to 1 is the default. Well, then you're looking at a Bitcoin that has the equivalent of like 200 megabyte blocks with no further strain on the foundation of the network at all. Like, mm, that, wow. is, that, is the way, that is the only sensible and sustainable way to scale. Um, and, uh, and that's why I think... Iteration is key. 
we're going to continue to hit these thresholds where fees are going to get high, where lightning is going to get bogged down, and we're going to have to continue to increment. We're going to fail to scale, just like Andrea said, all the way to success. Um, and we're always going to be strained. We're always going to have some next level that we should be able to obtain and we want to be able to obtain. And we have to engineer our way into and we're barely going to squeeze into it before we get that next that next um, wave of adoption. Uh, and then uh, and then it's going to hurt again and we're going to have to do it all over again. Like it's just it's just going to be constant. But no, I don't think there is a fundamental limit to which we can expand what Bitcoin is able to accomplish. And maybe maybe that um, that solution really does involve side chains. Maybe it's like federated systems like Liquid, whatever it is, maybe it's drive chains. I don't know. But I honestly kind of think we can get to more than a billion users uh, plus just with Lightning and Channel Factories. Um, it, it does not seem out of the reach at all. And if we can get to that point, uh, it kind of feels like along the way there's going to be incremental improvements that can easily turn 1 billion into 7 billion you know like like the stretch of the next the next single order of magnitude is just not that far you know so gotcha yeah yeah i hear you um and 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 also like i'm sure different breakthroughs will happen like uh it it's not gonna get like you said they're we're iterating so yeah it's not going to get worse. Like if, if someone, it's already better than it, way better than it was in 2018, 2019, way better than it was. It's not like nobody's going to figure out better things to do with the lightning, just the lightning network itself over the next five years. It's not going to be like, they're going to be like, yep, 2022. That's when we figured everything out. uh, (laughs) (laughs) We stopped figuring things out after that. Uh, I still think there's probably going to be in the next, I kind of predict like within the next two years, there's going to be some, like really serious, either like a monetization model. Um, one of the things that I really wish somebody would, well, excuse me, somebody would do just because I, I would, I know I would use it all the time. You know how like software kind of went towards this free trials, free trial to subscription model. Oh yeah, um, because it turned out to be a much better monetization car. model than um, uh, direct, like selling the software itself so that you can keep working on it. Right. Well, I think. I like lightning when you're talking about streaming payments and the, the ability to move money instantly anywhere in the world. Like, I mean, I could withdraw from cash app and it doesn't matter if I'm, I mean, aside from the fact that I can't get a cash app account, but with lightning in specifically, it doesn't matter if I'm in Germany, Belarus, if I'm in Russia or Ukraine, I'm sanctioned in Iran. I'm in the U S I'm in Canada. This completely, completely irrelevant. The money moves instant and free or instant and cheaply. Um, no matter where I am, Lightning Network is completely borderless. It doesn't have the slightest clue. It can't even, there's not even a way to figure out how to make borders on Lightning and Bitcoin, right? It just doesn't exist. Um, So in that sense, I think there's going to be some monetization model of the freedom to move money like that and to be able to do things like streaming payments. Like I would love to be able to, like I hate the idea of having to pay $55 a month to Adobe to use Photoshop. Um, or $20 just for Photoshop or $50 because I want to use Photoshop and audition once every six months. Right. Right. Like I know how to use Photoshop and I've done the work to figure out how to use that software, but I only need it for 30 minutes, you know, 30 minutes in six months. What if I could just pay a dollar to use it 
maybe even if it's on Adobe's servers or whatever, but I can just activate it for that span of time and use it and stream just what I use at that time. And maybe I even, it entices me to learn more about uh, Photoshop and realize that I can use it in more circumstances because I leave it there because I don't get rid of it. I don't just go find some GIMP, you know, open source alternative or whatever it is. I use Photoshop because I can use Photoshop. And then after a point, I'm realizing I'm spending $25 a month on it. It's like, ah, maybe I will just buy it. Like there's this middle ground between free trial and actually fully buying the thing that I think could really really lend itself to using very complex and well-kept up, like well-developed software that, um, that is able to entice new customers because they can use fully featured things on the fly. Um, and then they'll have that lock-in, right? They'll want to keep using the software that they're good at, that is capable and uh, is, does the job, does the trick, and then they might actually purchase it. Um, yeah. Anyway, it's just one of those things I've been thinking about. Of Right. And it makes me think of like these news articles where it's like, I want to read it, but then it's like, you know, if I'm you not going to read this, <sighs> sign up fifteen ninety nine a month, uh, you know. Uh, For The Economist or, or New York Times and yeah. bullshit. No, yeah. I just delete every time, every time. Yeah. I spend about two it's minutes probably... seeing if I can delete it on the, the web thing yeah. or get a get a snapshot of the PDF before the pop-up comes up. Yeah. Um, but if I can't do it and like, 60 seconds, I just close. I just like, screw it. I'm just going to read it. Honestly, that probably saves time because I, I, then I think, is this article real? No, I'm wasting my time. Okay. I'm out. Yeah. But, but, um, but if they just charge me 15 cent, charge me a quarter, I would just do it. I would just click on it and do it. Yeah. Who cares? Yeah. I'm interested in this article. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's what I was thinking. Um, all right. So, uh, for people who want to get started, uh, on, on the lightning network, um, and I've, I've only had the opportunity to use it two or three times. I think that, but I, I feel like I've gotten a few people on where I've, um, you know, I've uh, paid them for lunch or something, uh, yeah, yeah. which is, which is always fun. Uh, but what wallets would you recommend? And like you said, you use a lot of wallets and, and for, for people who are getting started and also like, what's the difference between custodial and non-custodial? What, what should people watch out for? And I know mm-hmm. we're hitting up on time. I don't want to keep you too long, but that's, that's sort of Not like, uh, that's sort of the call to action. Like, let's, uh, let's, uh, how, how does someone get started? Okay. So, um, there are custodial and non-custodial wallets. Custodial just means that you're using a service. So it's like Gmail for email, right? Is that you're not running your own email server. Gmail just has all your stuff saved on their servers and you log into their servers and use it. What uh, if so if you're using a custodial lightning service or lightning wallet, they have the Bitcoin and you're using their service. They're letting you log into their server and use the lightning that or the, the Bitcoin the sats that are deemed yours. Um, but they can because of that, they can freeze it. They could take it. I mean, they're not probably not going to, you know, businesses don't really have a habit of doing that. But there's always the potential of jurisdictional control. There's always the potential of GoFundMe sort of situations. Like they have the money, they can just freeze it. Um, so always use non-custodial if at all possible. Um, for a default custodial that that I do like, um, I'm a huge fan of Blue Wallet. You can actually use them for either, but the default Lightning Wallet, if you just started a Lightning Wallet on it, is in fact custodial. Um, 
but you can actually connect a different lightning wallet to blue just so that it's your interface um blue is actually really has a lot of different options um like i have a hardware wallet wallet on my blue i have my lightning node my main lightning node wallet connected to blue and then i have a little custodial wallet on blue blue is pretty pretty great um it has a lot of options um uh and uh so there's that there's always a there's always a um uh some good custodial wallets wallet of satoshi is another good one uh, again uh custodial um but then there are wallets that run essentially the lightest version of a bitcoin node um that is needed in order to know 100 percent that no one can cheat anything in your channel so that you so that your node your so that your wallet itself always knows um what's going on on bitcoin so that essentially your lightning contract is safe um and uh they actually have a couple of different models with the way that this works but they're really clever and they all kind of have their unique benefits and drawbacks but they're moon m-u-u-n um definitely make a backup uh i did not properly back up that one because i was just testing it out and i my phone shit the bed not too long ago and i've had a problem getting it back but i think i'm i think i'm about to get it back um uh breeze b-r-e-e-z um that one just stored an encrypted backup in my iCloud which just means I just booted it right back up punched in my pen and it was it was there um that was pretty great um and then Phoenix um ph what is it oe or eo eonix um uh, moon breeze and Phoenix these are completely non-custodial you run super light versions of a node essentially breeze is probably the most sovereign um but essentially like all the moving channels and capacity and all of that stuff, totally automatic. Just right. happens in the background. So, well, what's the difference between those and a non-custodial uh, blue wallet? Um, you 100% hold your keys. You are the moon breeze okay. or Phoenix as a service cannot take your Bitcoin from you. But, as long but, as you have keys. Uh, wouldn't blue wallet non-custodial also mean that you have your keys or what's the, yes, what's the, the non-custodial that if yeah. you connect a non-custodial wallet to blue, and oh, use yeah. it as your interface. Okay. Yes, you but you have to run a node somewhere else. Ah, I see. I see. So, I see. like, I I have on my computer, I've just booted up LND, like one of the base things or whatever, and I connect my blue wallet to it. So when my blue wallet app is making a payment from my node, I'm actually out. It talks to my home computer. My home computer in, initiates the payment and okay. then lets my blue wallet know. So, so it's not actually in blue wallet, yeah. but that's that's more of a technical setup. Right. Um, right. There are easier ways to do it, but mine in particular is pretty technical. Um, uh, like I said, I just tinker. I just like, if there's a new piece of software, I'll just boot it up um, yeah. and uh, start playing around with it. Uh, but those are really good non-custodial options. Moon, Breeze, and Phoenix. Um, All right. Those are at well, least the best cool. that I've, I've stumbled upon. There's probably a couple more, um, but yeah. uh, Maybe yeah, I'll try a few. I'll, I'll send you a I link. Think I, have a, I think I have a few on Blue Wallet. It might be the custodial version, but it seems like it's easy if I just make a... Uh, a, a non-custodial on one of these, I could just send the lightning transaction to myself. Just straight to it. You know, yep. right there. It'll yep. just ha- be there. So That's actually uh, a really great way for me to, a great way that I've used um, just because I know when Breeze in particular or Phoenix or whatever is opening up a new channel. Like you necessarily, you, you normally wouldn't just as a normal user, you wouldn't really care. It just does it. Um, but when you open up a new channel, the fee is slightly higher. So you'll notice you received a lightning payment that cost a thousand sats rather than 
two sats, you know, in payment or in, in a fee. And you're like, hey, what the hell happened? Well, the, the thing automatically opened up a new channel or closed one or whatever. Um, so why is it less than, wouldn't it be the amount of the on-chain, you know, is it a thousand sats? Uh, is that pretty, st- like, it, it would be like an on-chain transaction cost, right? It depends. See, here's the thing is that what's going on is that these the services that run these wallets have different systems on how to manage channels. And they're basically they're basically opening a channel with your public key. So your private key is the only thing that can actually get the funds, but they're opening it on your behalf to just do it automatically. But they have different policies like Breeze takes a point one percent fee, I think, of the transaction amount. Um, to do it when they have to when they have to move liquidity, um, Phoenix. They, they like I said, they all have their own policies, okay, so it's different. Different ways of putting. It but together. also, they can by doing so, they open these channels on the fly. But then they actually have the opportunity to aggregate them. So rather than having a full lightning channel as one transaction, they can batch like all twenty customers who had to open up a channel in the last ten minutes, and they can save money on fees. And then they just turn that saving, they, they push that savings forward to the user so the user only sees a small fee, even though gotcha. they had to go on chain. So there's like a bunch of different ways to manage I this. I see, it's I see. Just, so this is just it. how the, you take advantage of what the protocol allows you to do, right? Um, right. And uh, so you'll see that from time to time. But what I'll do is I'll actually use custodial a lot for receiving payments quickly because they're going to have more liquidity than I do just on a normal thing. But then after... After I've got like $100, $200, $500 in there or whatever, like a substantial amount that makes me go, I don't want that with a company that might go under and maybe their node goes down or whatever. Um, then I will just offload that into my Lightning wallet or gotcha. have have it open up a new channel with Breeze or whatever. So it's just a great go between where you, you, you trust the custodial for a small amount and for a small amount of time and then you put it behind your keys. Whether right. that's on, on Bitcoin on chain or on your own Lightning wallet, you want to hold your Bitcoin at the end of the day. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Uh, so I, I think we're getting to the end here. I know we could talk for hours and hours and hours, but uh, I, I, uh, uh, let's, um, let's finish off. First of all, Guy, thank you so much for coming on the show. Let's finish yeah, up. Do you have for any sure. last thoughts on this stuff? And also, like, where can people find your, your stuff, your podcast, and, and, and anything else? Yeah, that, yeah, absolutely. You know? I've got two shows. Um, uh, I try not to hate on crypto too much. Um, I mean, I, I think a lot of the foundational, like the mentality or the thinking of the whole space really kind of has like a fundamental misdirection. Um, like I think as soon as you create something that's a token, like that is a standalone token and it's not actually quote unquote backed by anything, like it's not, it's not a monetary unit behind it, you're competing as money. And I think so many of these utility networks or whatever have completely lost the fact that they have to compete as money for it to actually be the foundation for their utility. Um, And I think it's backwards. But regardless, I try to give as much room as possible and not just insult endlessly. Um, But I do have a show that is my little guilty pleasure of just kind of shitting on the really, really bad projects. That is Shitcoin Insider. Um, We don't do it often, but... It's fun from time to time, so yeah. forgive me for that. It is a it is a lot of fun, uh, but uh, the main show is Bitcoin Audible, and we dig into all of it. Um, the The philosophy behind it, cypherpunk uh, uh, history, 
Um, I've written and dug into whole episodes on like probably 20 or 20 or 30 major cypherpunks like in their history and like what they did. Um, uh, libertarianism, uh, lots of economics. I'm a real solid economics nerd, but uh, I try to explain it in more of a story kind of context. It's not, I try to keep jargon out of it. Um, but we talk about macro finance. I mean, literally anything and everything that you could think about around Bitcoin and the space and all of the different uh, disciplines that inform it, we've done it. I'm at 600 reads, 60 odd quote unquote guys takes, which is solo episodes, 60 some odd interviews. Um, It's been a a daily passion. It's (laughs) been a daily passion for a long, long time. Yeah. Um, You do it every day. Uh, yeah, I'm working on it every day. Um, oh, I don't publish every day because right. sometimes I don't. Yeah, you know, I yeah. read a two hour piece that take, gonna take me two day, two days to get yeah. it published. But um, but yeah, and then I've also got That's eleven cool. audiobooks, twelve audiobooks now. Magic Internet Money is about to come out. Uh, Bitcoin and the American Dream is, um, like I said, uh, the Block Size War, a uh, really great one. Um, uh, Knuts von Holm, uh, two of his books, Sovereignty Through Mathematics and Independence Reimagined. The Seventh Property by Eric Yakes. Uh, you can actually just go to my Twitter profile, The Guy Swan, and uh, I've got a banner at the top with the <laughs> little the things of all the audiobooks, and I'm going to be adding three to that soon um, and updating it. But yeah, lots of audiobooks. I mean, if you if you were looking for ten thousand hours of audio about Bitcoin, I have that. That is <laughs> <laughs> that is that is what I do, and I try to explain it and expand on it and share ideas and just pontificate about random nonsense and some fun fantasy shit from time to time but that's bitcoin right. audible that's awesome uh, that's what i do well i'll i'll i uh, ask people to check it out i'll put it on the show notes page which will be localmaxradio.com slash 212 212 uh guy once again thanks for coming on the show hell yeah man i appreciate it max had fun that's the show to support the local maximum Sign up for exclusive content and our online community at Maximum.Locals.com. The Local Maximum is available wherever podcasts are found. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe on your podcast app. Also, check out the website with show notes and additional materials at LocalMaxRadio.com. If you want to contact me, the host, send an email to LocalMaxRadio at gmail.com. Have a great week. Feel the power. 